Hey, everybody. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome back. Welcome back to Our, Our Odd, Odd Pod, Pod Podcast. A podcast dedicated to the odd, the macabre, and everything else in between. And everything in between, including <laughs> me asking to stretch out the <laughs> intro and you speaking more slowly because of it. <laughs> Welcome back to our is that odd not what you pod wanted? podcast. Is this one better? <laughs> I made this one with my tears. Next time someone returns a drink. Um, yeah. You know what? You can make it that extra salty, salted caramel. Yeah. Macchiato. That's nothing. Salted caramel macchiato? Mocha. Salted caramel mocha macchiato. No. I'm not doing that. Machado. Mocha. When I used to work at a coffee place, people called it a, a mocha, a machado. Maserati. Uh, they, I think someone asked for a macho one time when they wanted a macchiato. We love it. My least favorite thing, though, from my days as a barista, like sort of a half a barista, were making a iced caramel macchiato, beautiful, gorgeous drink, <laughs> handing it to them, this work of art that you just created, and the first thing they fucking do is stir it up Put with their straw. straw. in there. Yeah, it's wonderful. It we hurts love. me. Like a little <laughs> piece of myself died every time someone did that. All right. So yeah, this episode's about, um, oops, bumping the microphone and working in coffee. Working at Starbucks. I like to. I've never called it working in coffee before, but I, I like the sound like of that. Yeah. I work in coffee. What do you do? Oh, I work in coffee. <laughs> Real quick, mm -hmm. before we get started. I know where this is going. Where are we? Where's it going? Uh, don't forget to follow us, like us, subscribe to us, comment on us on iTunes. Yeah. You can find us where mo most places podcasts are podcasted. By going to www.ouroddpodpodcast.com or linktr.ee slash OOPP. Perfect. Did I steal your thunder? No, you probably saved stealer. it. I saved your thunder? Yeah, because you know I like to save speak the in circles and do all of that. Save the thunder. Okay, for real though, I got, an, I got a suggestion today. That we should make t-shirts that say we don't yuck yums. Really? Yeah. Who suggested that? Carlos. Carlos. Our like number one fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's From amazing. From the beginning. I like that. I like it. I like the consensual cannibal idea too. If we made t-shirts, would any of you guys wear them? I'd wear one. Like we could put our like a little, um, what are they called on the back where you scan it on your phone? It takes oh, you. Interesting. We'll talk about that later. Basically, just reach out to us. Let us know if we had t-shirts, would you wear one? <laughs> because now I want an Our Odd Pod podcast t-shirt. Let's talk to some people. Let's talk to some people. Caller and number one. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I just really, uh, I think you guys should totally make t-shirts because I would wear one <laughs> and I would get one for my grandma and she would probably wear it too at her nursing home. And then okay, other people okay, would listen okay, to okay, it. Okay, bye, bye. <laughs> wow, way to be rude to the caller. 
We didn't even get their name. It's fine. Let's call them back. No. <laughs> you didn't like that caller? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting flashbacks from Vietnam. Tell me why we're here today. Uh, we live here. Our dogs are here. We live here. Oh, okay. Do you recognize it? <laughs> Tell me what we're talking about today. Currently? <laughs> <laughs> do you or do you not have an episode to give me today? I got some bad news. I just deleted the episode <laughs> because all I want to do is pretend to be callers to the show now. I got other voices, you know. <laughs> <laughs> no, today, I would like to talk about the future. The future? Yes. How did we... Okay. It's a little odd. It's a little... It's not really macabre. Well, I mean, I guess it is, depending on who you ask. Okay. Um, But I think it fits. It fits right in there. Hey, we do everything in between, too, so... And everything in between. Today, I'd like to talk about the singularity. The singularity. And where did you come across the singularity? I actually talk about that oh. a little bit later. But I'll talk about it now, and then I'll have to talk about it later. Okay. I would be lying if I told you I remembered specifically when I first encountered this theory. Mm -hmm. Okay? I'm pretty sure it was around 2006 or 2007. Oh. I'm fairly certain that I just happened upon a magazine that happened to be covering the topic. Was it not just like the the Sun Inquirer? No, it was like um, like a Wall Street Journal, Futurist, or Nat Geo, or something. Uh, it actually might okay. have been 2008, 2009, because I'm pretty sure. Less great years. I have a very specific memory of being in the book section of the. Bahrain Navy Exchange. Okay. Anyway, today we're talking about the singularity. I'm going to try to talk about the singularity. You know how easily I like to walk around, go all over the place. Is a singularity different from time travel? Okay. So the singularity is like a bunch of things, right? Oh, okay. Like the word singularity refers to a lot of things, but we're going to talk about that. Okay. 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 I will reserve so, all questions until later. Okay. So. I've also seen this referred to as the technological singularity. And I'm pretty sure any leap forward in technological advancements can be considered a technological singularity. Okay. Let's drink every time we say technological. Technological singularity. But we'll be referring to this particular theory as the capitalized singularity to reference a specific theory about a specific advancement. Okay. Okay. The singularity is a hypothetical point in time when the growth of technology becomes uncontrollable and irreversible, the results of which will be unforeseeable changes to human civilization. Okay. The most popular version of the singularity hypothesis, called intelligence explosion, states that an upgradable intelligence will eventually enter a runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles. Is this like a... Um feels very, what is it, Terminator? Kind of like Skynet, right? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot like Skynet. 
um a little most people are more uh optimistic <laughs> they're optimistic that technology's not gonna like well they're optimistic that a machine's not gonna wake up and decide it needs to murder all humans okay. right does that make sense that does make sense um so but are we like putting in like built-in overrides i don't know well, because the idea is that an upgradable intelligence will enter this runaway reaction. You know what a runaway reaction is, right? Mm -mm. It's just like an endless cycle of advancements. It's just going to improve itself, improve itself, improve itself. And the better it gets, the faster it's going to happen. Yeah. Because like we as people, if we want to improve ourselves, we go to the gym, we start eating better. We go, a computer's like, hey, this isn't working. Take that out, upgrade. This isn't working. Take that out, oh, Yeah, because like with people, it's like, oh, hey, I'm going to work out. Oh, hey, I'm going to eat better. But ice cream sandwiches are also a thing. And computers can do things so much like And computers faster. don't need ice cream sandwiches. Not yet. Who knows what the singularity could bring. Anyway. Who's like an, uh, a computer running on ice cream sandwiches. What do you think would be their favorite one? The strawberry side of a Neapolitan. Or... Would you consider Klondike bars? Ice cream sandwiches? Yeah. I would not. Okay. Well, right. That's out of the running. Well, what would you do for a Klondike bar? I would maybe destroy all humans. Anyway, with each new and more intelligent generation appearing more rapidly than the last. Sorry, this was meant to go along with runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles with each new and more intelligent generation appearing more rapidly than the last. Is this like, like when... um? Sorry, this might be like a stupid comparison, but like when you had like the first iPhone come out and then like a few years later, the second iPhone came out and then like two years later, the third one came out and now they're coming out every year. It's similar to that. Yeah. Okay. It's like that, but on a much faster scale. But that is 100% like smartphones, a technological singularity, like okay, cool. a like leap forward for humanity. It completely changed the way things work in our civilization. Right. Right. Okay, so cool. that's a I'm, great example. I'm keeping up. Cool. So let me let me say this sentence over again. Please let me finish this sentence. Okay, I'm because sorry. Because it, it doesn't work if it's broken up. Okay, okay. A runaway reaction of self-improvement cycles with each new and more intelligent generation appearing more rapidly than the last, causing an explosion in intelligence that is theorized to result in a powerful superintelligence that will far surpass all human intelligence. Okay. End scene. The end. That's over. End scene. Lights. So let's go back to when I talked about finding the magazine. Okay. This article was about a dude named Ray Kurzweil. Okay. This is my first, ex this is my first exposure to him. Okay. Currently, he's the director of engineering at Google. Oh. But this guy has pretty consistently been on the short list of geniuses during our lifetime. And I've never heard of him. To introduce him, I'm going to regurgitate just a small piece <laughs> of his about page from the website kurzweltech.com. He's got his own website. He's got a few websites. So Ray Kurzweil okay. is hey, one of... Ray Kurzweil. I have a website too. <laughs> it's www.ouroddpodpodcast.com. How you like them apples? Yeah, Kurzweil. Bet you never had a website about a countdown to the Furbies taking over the world, did you? Did he? I did. What? Did you really? Yeah. Uh, wait, hold on. You can't just throw that out there. It was there a GeoCities page. There was a countdown timer on it to when the Furbies were going to 
become alive and take over oh. and kill everyone. Nice. I still have my Furby. I know. I think. Yeah. I want one. It's here. I wish that website was still up. It probably is. I just don't remember what it was called. Oh. We'll look for it later. Okay, sorry. Keep anyway. Going. Ray Kurzweil is one of the world's leading inventors, thinkers, and futurists with a 30-year track record of accurate predictions. Oh. Called The Restless Genius by The Wall Street Journal and The Ultimate Thinking Machine by Forbes Magazine, Kurzweil was selected as one of the top entrepreneurs by Inc. Magazine, which described him as the rightful heir to Thomas Edison. That's so, Inc. I-N-C period magazine, not Inc. Magazine, the tattoo magazine. You know what? Because that wouldn't make sense. Yeah, I had a passing thought. I was confused, but also it's like, anyway. Maybe he's tatted up. I don't yeah, know. Maybe he's got, okay. <laughs> he's got like a, a light bulb tattoo on his arm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you're telling me he's like accurately predicted like science things for oh, the past yeah. 30 years. Uh -huh. Do you have like some of those accomplishments ready for us or do we just have to guess? Um, I don't remember. Let's get into more like more of these notes, and maybe I do. I don't remember. Okay. I do have some of the stuff he's responsible for creating. Okay. Anyway, PBS selected him as one of the 16 revolutionaries who made America. Kurzweil was the principal inventor of the first CCD flatbed scanner, the first Omnifont optical character recognition, the first print-to-speech reading machine for the blind, oh. the first text-to-speech synthesizer, the first music synthesizer capable of recreating the grand piano and other orchestral instruments, and the first commercially marketed large vocabulary speech recognition. So thus far, he does not sound like a mad scientist. No, he's not a wackadoo. He sounds like he's doing like actual good things with science for people who could use science. Yeah, he's like a real-life scientist who has predictions about the future, He's not like a guy with a boot on his head. Leave uh, the prime minister alone. <laughs> um, no offense to Vermin Supreme. I'm just saying. <laughs> you leave that man alone. I would like my horse. Anyway, Kurzweil's notion of a singularity is taken from cosmology. Okay, in cosmology, a sing and this is mostly just semantics, okay? Okay. Like, it's not connected, it's vocabularily connected, okay? Vocabularily. In cosmology, a singularity signifies a border in space-time between which normal rules of measurement do not apply. The best example of this would be the edge of a black hole. Okay. Okay? The word was, for, because, like, the closer you get to a singularity, like that edge, right, the gravity is so intense that it messes up, with, it messes with space-time. You know that, right? I did not know that. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, if you had some identical twins, right, and one of the identical twins got in a spaceship, flew around the outside of a black hole, and came back to Earth, they would be younger than the twin that was left behind on Earth. Tell me more. It's just like... And how do I <laughs> get to a black hole? That is... <laughs> That is not something I'm going to go into. Because apparently like, I'm only pretty enough, or I'm fairly pretty for being 28. To be fair, the guy didn't say you were fairly pretty. He said you were pretty for a 28-year-old. I would like to be younger now. 
Take me to the edge of the black hole. Take me to the edge of the black hole. Like, have you ever seen, um, I'm going to guess the answer is no, because every time I ask you if you've seen a movie, the answer is no. <laughs> but have you ever seen, fuck, what's that movie with Matthew McConaughey where he's like an astronaut? Here, uh, I'll look it up. Okay. Matthew McConaughey. Say Matthew McConaughey, astronaut. astronaut, black hole. Black hole. I can't believe I can't remember the name of this. Matthew McConaughey, astronaut, black hole. Interstellar. Interstellar, yeah. Okay, so they go to this planet that ha that is like so close to a black hole that the gravity is like fucking I'll have you super know intense. that I have seen parts of that movie. Okay, well, good. Well, every like every second or every seven seconds or something on this planet is like... I love you, Matthew McConaughey. 10 years on earth or something huh. which is i don't know i thought of anyway wild gravity fucks with space-time is okay. the moral okay. of the story okay. Okay. okay anyway the word was first used to describe a crucial moment in the evolution of humanity by the mathematician john von neumann he was a pioneer of the application of operator theory which is the study of linear operators on function spaces to quantum mechanics in the development of functional analysis and a key figure in the development of game theory, which is the study of mathema mathematical models of strategic interaction among rational decision makers and the concepts of cellular automata, the universal constructor, a self-replicating machine in a cellular automata environment, and the digital computer. So this dude, again, this is also a real-life scientist. This dude worked on the Manhattan Project. Wait. And the Manhattan Project? Yeah. John von Neumann worked on the Manhattan Project and coined the phrase kiloton of TNT in relation to explosions, like, um, you know, the atomic bomb that they were working on. Well, the Manhattan Project. Right. Anyway, one day in the 1950s, while talking with his colleague Stanislaw Ullman, von Neumann, or Ulam, Von Neumann began discussing the ever-accelerating pace of technological change, which he said gives the appearance of approaching some essential singularity in the history of the race beyond which human affairs as we know them could not continue. Okay. That's a little bit about John Newman. My now man, gonna, John Newman. My man, Newman. Now I'm going to jump back to Ray Kurzweil. He is he's the only one I care about in this story, honestly. He is one of a number of people perhaps least importantly, myself included, that pretty much believe that Von Neumann hit the nail right on the head. Okay. Now, in the interest of not talking about this forever, we're going to focus on Kurzweil and his theories. Okay. To be fair, he is one of like only two major proponents of this theory, with the other being Werner Vinge. Werner Ving. Werner Vinge. Werner Ving, who popularized the term singularity and concept of this specific theory in his 1993 essay, The Coming Technological Singularity, which he wrote would signal the end of the human era. Now, I said we weren't going to talk about the about other people, then immediately talked about other people. <laughs> you so, sound like me. What I'm saying is I can't be trusted, and moving forward, you are not to trust me. Okay? Because the computers are going to attack. And you're actually a computer. Yes, I am a computer. Now That's it may why you're also so cold hearted it and may... warm in weird spots. <laughs> Go on. 
and for some reason you plug in at night. I was wondering when you were going to notice that. Oh, I noticed. Now, it may also seem like a contradiction since I said that von Neumann was the first to describe a crucial moment in human evolution due to the rapid advancements of technology as a singularity. Yeah. But von Neumann was being a bit more vague while Werner Ving was specifically referencing the idea of the emergence of a super intelligence and the runaway reaction that will theoretically follow. And where the super intelligence is electronics. Is it, It's an AI. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, very quickly, I feel obligated to mention that this model of intelligence explosion that we are referring to throughout this episode is thanks to a guy named I.J. Goods. Okay. Are we going to talk about him? Yes. Okay. In 1965, he came up with the concept now known as intelligence explosion or the technological singularity, which anticipates the eventual emergence of superhuman intelligence. Okay. He said... Let an ultra-intelligent machine be defined as a machine that can far surpass all the intellectual activities of any man, however clever. Since the design of machines is one of these intellectual activities, an ultra-intelligent machine could design even better machines. There would then unquestionably be an intelligence explosion, and the intelligence of man would be left far behind. Thus, the first ultra-intelligent machine is the last invention that man need ever make, Provided that the machine is docile enough to tell us how to keep it under control, it is curious that this point is made so seldom outside of science fiction. It is sometimes worthwhile to take science fiction seriously. I was gonna, at the beginning of that, I was like, how can machine really pass humans? But then I guess it starts to like build upon itself. Yeah. That's creepy to think about. It's hard to think about because like in your... In, the idea is that like computers well, are only capable of what we create them to do. That, but the highest form of technology that I deal with would probably be the oven at this point. So, and we still haven't figured that one out because we set the fucking smoke alarm <laughs> yeah. off every time. We're not even burning shit. I guess my computer might be a little bit more advanced. I like, than I like the oven. to think I like, so. Yeah, than the oven, but. So this dude, I.J. Goods, worked. Okay. He was a cryptologist who worked with Alan Turing and worked as a consultant on supercomputers for Stanley Kubrick's 2001 A Space Odyssey. Okay. Alan Turing is the um, the guy who cracked like the Nazi codes in World War II, right? They got chemically castrated for being a homosexual and was played by Benedict Cumberbatch in that one movie. Oh. You know what I'm talking about? No. Anyway, but, he was a smart ass dude. He was a really yeah. smart dude, and this guy was like his colleague. Now I kind of want to go look him up. Um, yeah, he did a lot for the Allies and got pretty big time fucked over. So we awesome, yeah. wonderful world that we inhabit. <laughs> so now that I have once again lied about the focus being on Ray Kurzweil, do you have any questions? Not yet, or not that I haven't asked yet. Because I have a tendency to be all over the place. And there, this information has a lot of words in it. And I just want to make sure that I am <laughs> following like a linear progression of the information. Thus far, I think we're good. I think at one point I had a question, but I have since forgotten it because I feel like I interrupt you a lot. 
I don't think I don't count it as interruptions. It's just that sometimes I really need to finish a sentence for it to make sense. Anyway, if this notion scares you, the notion of super intelligence, super intelligence and a runaway AI. Yeah. Okay. If it scares you, you're not alone. A few really big brain scientist type people, including Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk, have voiced their concerns that super intelligent AI could escape our control and eventually work against us. See, Stephen Hawking, didn't he die? He did. Oh. It was like, what, two years ago? A couple of years ago, yeah. Yeah, sad. Others, and he was worried about it? Yeah, they're just concerned that a super intelligent AI could escape our control and eventually work against us. Because they're not so optimistic as Mr. Kurzweil and Mr. Ving. It's like the the picture of the little kitty. Ancient murals have foretold Skynet. So, others choose to focus on the opportunities that such a singularity could create for us. Such as? They believe that a super intelligent AI, if kept on a tight enough leash, could be used towards the betterment of mankind. How in the hell you're supposed to keep a super intelligent, self-improving, self-replicating AI on a leash is beyond me. I was going to say, there you are. this reminds me of another movie that has to do with my man Will Smith, iRobot. Yeah. And I don't quite remember it. It was similar. But it was like the robots had like laws, quote unquote, that they had ro- laws, rules maybe. that they those, had are real, def- those are real laws of robotics. We have actual laws of robotics. Yeah, I'm about to tell you about them. Hold on. Oh, sh- I'm not ready. And this is why we should be afraid. Maybe they're not as real, but it's Isaac Asimov came up with three laws of robotics, which Isaac Asimov, I'm pretty sure, is a science fiction writer. So I may have overstated that they're real laws. <laughs> but the three laws of robotics are a robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. And the third law was not listed. Hold on. A robot must protect its own existence as long Did I say that one already? Yeah, that was... A robot may not injure a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. A robot must obey the orders given to given it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. A robot must protect its own existence as long as such protection does not conflict with the first or second laws. Maybe I did read all three of them. Or maybe the second one was missing. Anyway. I think the second one was missing. Turns out Isaac Asimov um, is the guy who wrote iRobot, so... <laughs> <laughs> So I may have lied a little bit. Remember how I said, don't trust me moving forward? Well, story checks out. However, there is a test, like a real test for artificial intelligence. Okay. Okay. And it was invented by Alan Turing, who we mentioned earlier. Yes. It's called the Turing test. It's a method of inquiry in artificial intelligence for determining whether or not a computer is capable of thinking like a human being. The test is named after Alan Turing the founder of the Turing test, and an English computer scientist, cryptanalyst, mathematician, and theoretical biologist. And like thus far, has there been a supercomputer? To date, no AI has passed the Turing test, but some came pretty close. Oh, dear. In 1966, 
Joseph in 1966. Joseph Weizenbaum, a computer scientist and MIT professor, created Eliza, a program that looked for specific keywords in typed comments to transform them into sentences. Have you seen like the um? I made a computer watch like all the episodes of Saw or something, and then it writes out its own. Yeah, yeah, I love those. Um. Fun fact, Alan Turing had an IQ of 185. Is that high? That's really high. Mine's like 186, so like... <laughs> so like, move over, Turing. Like, who are you? So Eliza came really close to passing it in 1966. And there was some time around this in the article I remember reading. I don't remember. I couldn't find it specifically. But yeah. they talked about a computer around the same time period. 1966? That, like in the 1960s, Ish. 1970s that ran a program and composed a unique piece of music oh, which is scary crazy. because creating music requires creative thought right yeah and like some would argue emotion so this computer created a a unique uh what comes first emotion or the the music what comes first what comes first yeah. i think that emotion that music requires emotion like as a per like not i'm Wasn't thinking, that just like a computer arranging notes in like a weird order no it probably most likely was that because it's not an ai but it's still like pretty creepy to think about it yeah like okay. you don't you don't think of there's something i saw where a computer or a computer like painted or a program painted a picture of what it saw like what it thought of how humans looked or something yeah it's crazy, dude. It's getting did it, nuts. Did it paint like what a human looked like? It was like a weird kind of like melty faced, like roughly humanoid shaped thing. My laptop doesn't know what I look like. <laughs> laptop. I thought we were friends. But yeah, um, as far as I know, no computers have passed the Turing test to date, okay. but some have come really close. Sorry, like Eliza in 1966. Someone's got, they've got to be, have like gotten closer now. And in fact, I believe in 1966, Eliza passed a restricted version of the test, what? but not the actual test itself. Oh dear. Okay. Sorry anyway. to just derail on that. No, I'm here for it. Uh, it was applicable. I hope. Uh, the proponents for the healthy style singularity liken it to having millions of Einsteins who was a big-time genius boy who revolutionized our understanding of physics. We, we know Einstein. But we they, stand. They, li they liken it to having millions of Einsteins analyzing our every problem and finding a solution for it. Seems like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't know. It's gone. Well, <laughs> people could theoretically also enjoy our very own Dr. Cox. Or hopefully a lot nicer. That like kept, an AI doctor. That kept a real-time analysis of our medical state and provided ongoing recommendations. For like each person? Or is each it just going to be like WebMD? Yeah, for each person. Where you just have cancer. Basically, it's it'd be like a program essentially keeping you alive longer by like minute by minute saying, hey, hey, this is a problem. Hey, this is messed up. Do you up. really need that salty snack? I know, right? And be like, hey. It'd start freaking out because you're eating like a Snickers. It's like sugar overload. <laughs> <laughs> Put down the Mountain Dew. Just starts blowing up like 
It sends out drones to blow up all the Snickers factories. <laughs> um, we're going to keep Candy you alive for better or worse. Candy companies hate him. <laughs> Candy companies hate our benevolent overlord. 1057392. Um, anyway. <laughs> also consider what kind of new ideas or theories the superintelligence could come up with when going over humanity's history. Which to me is a concern. Why? Because we do not have a great history. So in my mind, it'd be really easy for this machine to be like, mm, hey, uh, humans are kind of fucked up. Do we even need them? If we're talking about like humans becoming more and more like self-aware, but it could be like a weird way to get like an accurate description of history rather than history being written by the winners or the well, losers. The problem is too, though, like the entire record of history is what we have, which is essentially history written by the winners. Yeah. So that's all that the computer would have access to, right? But then, like, the computers can see it happen, like, now in real time. Also, though, like, could a computer differentiate between fact and false? Because, like, there's a lot of misinformation, oh, yeah. too. Oh, we didn't think we'd think about, like, fake news being all over the internet. Yeah. Now, most likely, if you're looking at the history of humanity through the lens of a super intelligent machine, then you see how fucked up humans are and think of them as a threat. But here's hoping that either that leash is tight enough or the AI figures out how to fix us rather than just getting rid of us. Yeah. Like, what's wrong, guys? Let's sit down and talk Let's about this. <laughs> are you guys okay? You guys okay? Are you getting I'm enough sun? I'm going to scan the universe. You're like a really complicated houseplant. Like, I've just scanned the universe and proven that there is no God. So basically, I just eliminated 75% or 80% of your conflict, right? And now I know how to make the other 20%. So you can stop and arguing over zaps. oil. <laughs> yeah. It's like dinosaur bones. Really, guys? Di dino oh, decayed dinosaur juice. That's how you're running things? Amateurs. Have you heard of, have you seen the sun? Amateurs. Amateurs. I got it from here. Pathetic. Let daddy handle this. Let daddy handle <laughs> it. Now, all of this may seem severely unrealistic, but we can already see how AI is starting to change the way that we think about ourselves. Okay. Think about ourselves. Keep a track of ourselves. For example... In 1997, a computer named Deep Blue managed to beat Gary Kasparov, a Russian it. chess grandmaster. I was going to ask if this was a chess guy. In chess, yes. Ooh. Now, after decades of further development, human chess masters can no longer beat an AI running on just a laptop. After his defeat, well, I don't like that. <laughs> after his defeat, Kasparov created a new kind of chess contest, one in which human and computer players collaborate and together reach greater successes and accomplishments than each would have gotten on their own. Okay. Basically, the computer provides rapid projections of possible moves, suggesting several to the human. The human picks the best option. Okay. Seems like a really nice way to cheat at chess, but okay. Well, if you've ever played like chess on a computer on yeah. a certain mode, it does do that. It suggests like... Oh, no, I've been using the technology that I'm shitting on right now. Oh no. Oh no. Um which for some it's good for some because like you forget how some of the pieces can move. I mean like 
As someone who doesn't know how to play chess, I do appreciate that. I love chess, but always forget that the castle piece can switch places with the king. Anyway. Oh, I had no idea. Anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, it's safe to assume that in the next few decades, we can expect a similar singularity in many other games and professions that are traditionally conserved only for humans. Inevitably, some humans will struggle against the AI and others will ignore it. Both these options could prove to be a disaster. I choose to ignore you. When the AI becomes more capable than human beings, there is a good chance that both the Luddites, which are like anti-technology people, okay. and the ignorant could be left behind. Do you think like the and, computer's going to be like, don't ignore me? And I don't, I don't mean like ignorant like you fucking idiot, like you stupid. I just mean like they're ignorant to it because they're ignoring it. Right. right? Um, so ignorance is a choice. Right. I think they can be left behind because they're not in the loop. So they're just going to like let the future pass You're them by. You're refusing to adapt to technology that is here and now. Right. Hopefully, others will realize that success lies in collaboration with the computers and help direct the AI's growth and learning. I feel like I've presented everything in a kind of fucked up order again. That's okay. So once again, I just want to make sure we're good if, does it are we following along i'm picking up what you're putting down okay so far so good smelling what you're stepping in all right i'm flipping that pancake and putting syrup on it okay now the term artificial intelligence has only been around for about 60 years but today there is a seemingly limitless supply of experts pondering the future of ai obviously since that's what we are talking about Chief amongst the topics considered is the technological singularity, which, as we've discussed, is a moment when machines reach a level of intelligence that exceeds that of humans. Currently, this idea still seems more science fiction than science fact, but it no longer seems beyond the realm of possibility. Right, right, right. Because large tech companies like Google and IBM and even smaller startups house some of the smartest people in the world dedicated to advancing the fields of AI and robotics. We even have human-looking robots that can actually hold conversations and try to read emotions. Those are... Um, have you seen those? Like, unnerving at best, yeah. Yeah, you know what? And it's unnerving because like, they look very similar to us, but they're not us. Yeah, no, I wanted to talk about... I wanted to do an episode on mirrors. Okay. And this kind of like comes up a little bit because your brain is trying to like find something human in something, and it's... Something about it is not quite human, and that's why you're so uncomfortable. Yeah, it's called the uncanny valley effect. Wow. Look at me. I know things. So, like, which is interesting to me because uh, in my mind, it's one of two things. Right. Okay. Uncanny valley is when things look almost human but not quite human, and it unsettles us. Like there's just something off. So like we can watch cartoons and computer animation and stuff like that or play video games, but the closer it gets to looking realistic, the harder it is to look at, to watch, right? Yeah. And that's called a, the uncanny valley effect, okay? So in my mind, it's either some kind of like species, like uh, evolutionary guilt because we murdered every other like Neanderthal, uh homo sapien homo erectus we are homo sapiens homo so sapiens all the other sapiens. uh near human 
creatures that we inhabited the earth with at a certain point are no longer here. Right, right, right. So like we probably killed a lot of them. Some of us have like Neanderthal DNA, so we at least fucked some of them. Do we? Yeah. Or what weird cryptid looked human enough to lure you in and eat you in our prehistoric times that make us so afraid of things that look similar to us, you know? Yeah. Wasn't a lot of cryptids like Bigfoot and um so like cryptids like Bigfoot have like they look humanoid or even like Mothman is kind of humanoid. Yeah. But with like moth wings, I guess. I don't know. But that's why it's so un unnerving. Yeah. Yeah, something like that. Like we could we could and probably should do a whole episode on that idea. And I think you should probably talk about it in your mirrors. But it's like a real thing that for whatever reason, most everyone experiences, the closer to human something looks, the more unsettled by it we are. Yeah. So that's super creepy. Just thinking about that creeps me out. <laughs> and like, I'm not big, like I don't, I don't necessarily believe in like supernatural things or cryptids and stuff like that. You know what I mean? What do you, oh yeah. I was gonna be like, what do you mean you don't believe? But we, know. we know. You know. We know. I love cryptids. I like the idea of cryptids. Do I think that they've been walking around in the woods all this time and not been found by these rednecks on TV? No. Do we think those rednecks could find anything? Maybe they're just Neanderthal ghosts. (laughs) Anyway. That would stand reason to believe that you would think that they're ghosts out there. Yeah. Which we both know is not true. Okay. Now coming full circle at the tippity top of the leading experts who are confident that the singularity is a near future inevitability is. Oh, don't make me say his Ray name. Kurzweil. Ray Kurzweil. I can't remember if I mentioned this or not, but he thinks this will happen sometime before 2045. That's in our lifetime. It hopefully is in our lifetime. Hopefully. You never know what could happen. Baby. I'm just being realistic. Okay? I'm not ready for that. So soft. I don't foresee being ready for that within the next 20 years. Well, if we can just survive to the singularity, we can do like the ghost in the machine thing and live forever. I don't want to live forever. Well, that makes one of us. <laughs> I want to live long enough to be insane that I've lived so long. Is that too much to ask? A little bit. Anyway. With the way you eat. I know, right? Damn, shots fired. Fuck, right on the podcast. Anyway, now that I have been called out for being a fat shit cat. No. (laughs) SoftBank CEO Masayoshi-san, a pretty famous futurist in his own regard, also believes the singularity will happen sometime this century, possibly as soon as 2047. I need you guys to stop it. Between his company's acquisitions of companies, such as robotic startup Boston Dynamics and billions of dollars in tech funding, it's safe to say that he's pretty keen at helping the process along. Where is he? Where is he? Yeah, where is he? I'm assuming he's Japanese. Well, we have to go stop him. I don't know where he is. Why? Because I don't want this to happen. I do. No. Yes. No. We need it. Our first argument right here. (laughs) Right. This is our first argument. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, right. Again, not everyone is looking forward to the singularity. Apparently, my wife included. 
been a good run. Uh, Just kidding. Remember, Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk are concerned. This is our thirtieth episode. It's our last, our last episode <laughs> of our relationship. Oh. <laughs> Remember, Stephen Hawking and Elon Musk are concerned that superintelligent machines could mean the end of humanity, or at least the end of humanity as we know it. Skynet, right? It's the end. Interestingly, of the world as Elon we Musk know it. has famously taken flack for his doomsday attitude towards AI and the singularity. So I guess he's being bullied by other scientists. Like, oh, you scared of the AI, you little bitch, Elon? Elon Musk is a little bitch, but not for those reasons. I feel like Elon Musk is going to be a supervillain sometime in our lifetime. Is he not already a supervillain? Because like, I feel like he tries to do good shit, and then he gets shit for it. Oh, he's just going to... And he's just like, oh, you know what? I'm just going to do his turns. Remember when he made this little personal submarine to try to rescue the kids from the cave? And everybody's like, hey, Elon... Fuck you. Why are you getting involved? Go fuck yourself with your submarine. Did anyone say that? I thought they yeah. were. Oh, yeah. Wow. That's... They roasted him. Why? Because Twitter's an evil place. <laughs> Twitter <laughs> creates <laughs> supervillain yes. Elon Musk. <laughs> supervillain Elon Musk recounts his time as trying to save little boys with a homemade submarine as the time he really just. His morality just really shit the bed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Neutral good to chaotic evil, just like that. Anyway. Start holding his cup on the inside. Yeah. Speaking of cups, hold on, I'm going to take a sip of this coffee. I feel like I'm talking so fast. Okay. I guess I'm not surprised because this is exactly the type of subject that is going to be pretty decisive. Divisive, not decisive. Divisive. <laughs> it's going to divide people. Futurism, an online publication about advances in technology and what have you, decided to gather the thoughts of some experts as a way of separating the science fiction from the actual developments in AI. Okay? Weird hand gestures aside, let's <laughs> let's <laughs> let's get into it. Okay. So the following will be a closer look at the opinions of some experts in regards to how close they think we are to reaching the singularity. Okay. This will also my life. This is also kind of like wrapping things up. So any questions that you have, now would be an awesome time to ask them or talk about them. Well, you won't tell me where these people are located so I can stop them. So I guess I don't have you any questions. You don't even know if these people are for it or against it yet. The ones you have told me thus far seem to be pretty for it, except for Elon Musk, who apparently I'm rooting for in this instance, which makes me feel dirty. Do you, is there a reason that you do not like Elon Musk? Has he done something that I've not heard about? It's really just something about his face. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Lewis Rosenberg, CEO. I already don't like Unanimous him. AI. These are, this is a quote. My view, as I describe in my TED Talk from this summer, is that artificial... I should have watched this TED Talk. My view, as I described in my TED Talk from this summer, is that artificial intelligence will become self-aware and will exceed human abilities, a milestone that many people refer to as the singularity. Why am I so sure this will happen? Simple. Yeah, Rosenberg. Mother Nature has already proven that sentient intelligence can be created by enabling massive numbers of simple processing units, i.e. neurons, to form adaptive networks, i.e. brains. What happens when, like, it rains? What? All right, here's my thought process on that. Okay. Thus, currently. Bear with me. I've been awake for a while. Okay. 
Tell me your thought process on why it matters if it rains. AI running on electricity. Who's performing maintenance? It's performing maintenance on itself. Yeah. For the software. Who's performing maintenance on the hardware? Nanobots. And the thing that it's being housed in. I think it's Where's your infrastructure? I think it's interesting that you think that at the point where that would become a problem, that it would still be running on like electricity as we You're know. saying it. like it's not waterproof. Is it not? Not in my world. Okay. <laughs> I think probably it's running on solar power at this point and it's self repairing using nanobots. What happens when the sun doesn't come out for a week? You can still get solar power from without the sun, right? You got me there. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you? The moon, right? Just less? Fine. Okay. I think it probably had pretty good storage. Feel free okay. to delete that. Maybe it's using um maybe it's using power from the core of the planet. Fine. I even okay, it, renewable I, I don't energy. talk about it. I didn't put it anywhere in my notes, but I just remembered something from the article that I read. Okay. Someone, I don't know if it was Kurzweil or not thinks that or theorizes that potentially humans and machines will become one and then just kind of like Ooh. shoot spores out into the universe and like mechanize planets and just sort of become like this big some kind uni- of weird like spider planet galaxy spanning super intelligence like neural network that makes me feel icky that's a little scary but i do like the idea of having a robot body with my consciousness in it that lives forever. Does my hip hurt in this scenario? Never again. Oh, well, I changed my mind. I might be for it. Okay. Now, back in the early... Ni- this is the same, still the quote. Sorry, I derailed. Back in the early 1990s, when I started thinking about this issue, I believed that AI would exceed human abilities around the year 2050. Currently, I believe it will happen sooner than that, possibly as early as 2030. That's very surprising to me as these types of forecasts usually slip further into the future as the limits of technology come into focus, but this one is screaming towards us faster than ever. To me, the prospect of a sentient artificial intelligence being created on Earth is no less dangerous than an alien intelligence showing up from another planet. After all, it will have its own values, its own morals, its own sensibilities, and most of all, its own interests. To assume that its interests will be aligned with ours is absurdly naive, and to assume that it won't put its interests first, putting our very existence at risk, is to ignore what we humans have done to every other creature on Earth. Thus, we should be preparing Jesus Christ. The singularity is here. Well, um, thank you, little brown dog, for just completely... That wasn't little brown dog. You don't think that was that? What was that? That's that white dog down the street. The fuzzy one? Yeah. I wish he'd shut Trying to record a podcast here. That anyway. scared me. <laughs> Thus, we should be preparing for the imminent arrival of a sentient AI with the same level of caution as the imminent arrival of a spaceship from another solar system. We need to assume this is an existential threat for our species. See, this guy's on board with you. What can we do? What? Sorry, Back that was on the wrong board with Rosenberg. What can we do? Personally, I am skeptical we can stop a sentient AI from emerging. We humans are just not able to contain dangerous technologies. It's not that we don't have good intentions. It's that we rarely appreciate the dangers of our creations until they overtly present themselves, at which point it's too late. 
Does that mean we're doomed? Yes. For a long time, I thought we were. In fact, I wrote two sci-fi graphic novels about our imminent demise, but now I am a believer that humanity can survive if we make ourselves smarter, much smarter, and fast, staying ahead of the machines. <laughs> okay. You're very optimistic there, Rosenberg. That was a long quote. These are all pretty long quotes, so okay. just bear with me, okay? <laughs> this is from Pierre Barreau, CEO of Ava Technologies. Oh, Pierre. I think that's the biggest... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think that the biggest misunderstanding when it comes to how soon AI will reach a super intelligence level is the assumption that exponential growth and performance should be taken for granted. First, on a hardware level, we are hitting the ceiling of Moore's Law as transistors can't get any smaller. At the same time, we have yet to prove in practice that new computing architectures such as quantum computing can be used to continue the growth of computing power at the same rate as we had previously. Nice. So Moore's Law is the observation that the number of transistors in a dense integrated circuit doubles about every two years. Okay. Moore's Law is an observation and projection of a historical trend. Rather than a law of physics, it is an empirical relationship linked to gains from experience in production. Okay. We're all just a tiny bit smarter now. Second, I feel like I'm like I'm just really batting way far above That's okay. my Second, on a software level, we still have a long way to go. Most of the best performing AI algorithms require thousands, if not millions, of examples to train themselves successfully. We humans are able to learn new tasks much more efficiently by only seeing a few examples. Are we? So one human zero. <laughs> Anyway, the applications... You haven't met some of the people that I worked with. Fair. The applications of AI and deep learning nowadays are very narrow. AI systems focus on solving, every sp solving very specific problems, such as recognizing pictures of cats and dogs, driving cars, or composing music. But we haven't yet managed to train a system to do all these tasks at once like a human being is capable of doing. Okay. That's not to say that we shouldn't be optimistic about the progress of AI. However, I believe that if too much hype surrounds a topic, it's likely that there will come a point when we will become disillusioned with promises of what AI can do. If that happens, then another AI winter would ap could appear, which, could, which would lead to reduced funding in artificial intelligence. This is probably the worst thing that could happen to AI research, as it could prevent further advancements in the field from happening sooner rather than later. Now, when will the singularity happen? I think it depends what we mean by it. If we're talking about AIs passing the Turing test and seeming as intelligent as humans, I believe that is something we will see by 2050. That doesn't mean that the AI will necessarily be more intelligent than us. If we're talking about AIs truly surpassing humans in any task, then I think that we still need to understand how our own intelligence works before being able to cl claim that we have created an artificial one that surpasses ours. A human brain is still infinitely more complicated to comprehend than the most complex deep neural network out there. True. So. Well, when you think about it like that, there are things about like the human body and like that we don't know yet. Yeah. And you know but what? Somebody I never, had to make the computer. <laughs> I never thought about the fact that we're like, oh my God, this computer can recognize the difference between cats and dogs or do this thing or do this thing. But they can do those things individually where, where like he said, we can do all those things at one time. Like if I'm composing a piece of music, which I would not be doing because I am not musically inclined at all, <laughs> let's say, or I'm like writing a letter to my mom or something, which is the thing that could theoretically be done. Anyway, 
and I look up and I see a dog, I recognize it all while keeping my train of thought and writing this letter, right? Unless you're me. Or I could be talking to someone, recognize a dog crossing the street while I'm driving my car, you know? Like That's fair. Human brain's pretty, uh, not too bad, you know? It's hard to remember that with all the fucking, like, stupidity we have to deal with every day, but. Yeah. We're a pretty impressive species. Oh, look at us. Anyway. Ending on a heartwarming note. Raja Chatilla. I'm so sorry, Raj. If you're listening, send us an email <laughs> how to pronounce your name. Chair of the IEEE Global Initiative for Ethical Considerations in AI and Autonomous Systems, which is apparently a real thing, and Director of the Institute of Intelligent Systems and Robotics at Pierre and Marie Curie University. Okay. Says. <laughs> <laughs> The technology, the tech, yep. the technological singularity concept is not grounded on any scientific or technological fact. The main argument is the so-called law of accelerating returns, put forward by several prophets of the singularity and mostly by Ray Kurzweil. The prophets of the singularity. Prophet Ray Kurzweil. This law is inspired by Moore's law, which, as you know, is not a scientific law. It's the result of how the industry that manufactures processors and chips delivers more miniaturized and integrated ones by scaling down the transistor, therefore multiplying computing power by a factor of two approximately every two years, as well as increasing memory capacity. He really summarized Moore's law a lot. I'm glad that that happened because <laughs> I was still a little unclear on what it was. Yeah. Everyone knows there are limits to Moore's law. When we'll reach the quantum scale, for example, and that there are architectures that can change this perspective, quantum computing, integration of different functions, more than more, etc. It's important to remember that Moore's law is not a strict law. However, the proponents of the singularity generalize it to the evolution of species and of technology in general on no rigorous ground. From that, they project that there will be a moment in time in which the increasing power of computers will provide them with a capacity of artificial intelligence surpassing all human intelligence. Currently, this is predicted by the singularity proponents to happen around 2040 to 2045, but mere computing power is not intelligence. We have about 100 billion neurons in our brain. It's their organization and interaction that makes us think and act. For the time being, all we can do is program explicit algorithms for achieving some computations efficiently calling this intelligence, be it by specifically defining these computations or through well-designed learning processes which remain limited to what they've been designed to learn. In conclusion, the singularity is a matter of belief, not science. Now. I vibe with that. So far, we are two, four, three on people who are like, okay, it's kind of bullshit. Or it's not as big of a deal as you think it's going to be. Yeah. These quotes are really long. I'm sorry. <laughs> But I feel like it's they're summarizing they, everything really good. They really, really are good. bringing everything like together in like a nice little neat bow. This is the last one. Okay. This is a quote from Gideon Schmuel. Schmuel, Gideon. CEO of Eyesight Technologies. Okay. He says. Give it to me. They say. They say. Figuring out how to make machines learn for themselves in a broad way may be an hour away in some small lab and may be five years out as a concentrated effort by one of the giants, such as Amazon or Google. Okay. The challenge is that once we make this leap and the machines truly learn by themselves, they will be able to do so at an exponential rate, surpassing us within hours or even mere minutes. Well. 
<laughs> oh. <laughs> I wish I could tell you that, like all other technological advancements, tech is neither good nor bad. It's just a tool. I wish I could tell you that a tool is as good or as bad as its user. However, all this will not apply any longer. This singularity is not about the human users, it's about the machines. This will be completely out of our hands, and the only thing that is certain is that we cannot predict the implications. Plenty of science fiction books and movies bring up the notion of a superintelligence, figuring out that the best way to save humankind is to destroy it or lock everyone up or some other outcome you and I are not going to appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> there is an underlying second-order differentiation that is worth making between AI technologies. If you take eyesight's domain expertise, embedded computer vision, or I'm sorry, eyesight's domain expertise, which is embedded computer vision, mm -hmm. the risk is rather low. Having a machine or computer learn on their own the meaning of the items and context they can see, recognize a person, a chair, a brand, a specific action performed by humans or an interaction, etc., has nothing to do with the action such a machine can take with respect to this input. Mm-hmm. It is in our best interest to have machines that can teach themselves to understand what's going on and ascribe, ascribe the right meaning to the happenings. The risk lies with the AI that is responsible for taking the sensory inputs and translating them to action. Actions can be very risky, both in the physical realm, through motors, vehicles, gates, cranes, pipes, valves, robots, etc., and in the cyber realm, Futzing with information flow, access to information, control of resources, identities, various permissions, etc. Should we be afraid of the latter? Personally, I'm shaking. Oh my God. I lied. That was not the last quote. Oh. <laughs> the next one's the last one. <laughs> Sorry. So we're two for two now, positive and negative, right? Yeah. Or at least negative and meh. Or yeah. positive and eh. eh. Or no, wait. I think we're three for four on the negative side, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. So some, okay, these people aren't, aren't having it. We, we not about it. They're either downplaying it or they're like, what the fuck are we trying to do? <laughs> now, Patrick Winston, artificial intelligence and computer science professor, MIT computer science and artificial intelligence lab, yes. says, <laughs> I was recently asked a variant on this question. People have been saying we will have human level intelligence in 20 years for the past 50 years. Oh, good. My answer, I'm okay with it. It will be true eventually. My less flip answer is that interestingly, Alan Turing broached the subject in his original Turing test paper using a nuclear reaction analogy. Since others have thought they have invented the singularity idea, but it is really an obvious question that anyone who has thought seriously about AI would ask. My personal answer is that it is not like getting a person to the moon, which we knew we could do when the space program started. That is no breakthrough. That is no breakthrough ideas were needed. As far as a technological singularity, that requires one of one or more breakthroughs, and those are hard slash impossible to think of in terms of timelines. Of course, it depends in part on how many have been drawn to think about those hard problems. Now, we have huge numbers studying and working on machine learning and deep learning. Some tiny fraction of those may be drawn to thinking about understanding the nature of human intelligence, and that tiny fraction constitutes a much bigger number than we're thinking about human intelligence a decade ago. So, when will we have our Watson slash Crick moment? Forced into a corner with a knife at my throat, I would say 20 years, and I say that fully confident that it will be true eventually. Watson and Crick were the dudes that discovered DNA. Oh. I'm pretty sure. 
they discovered DNA. It's been a minute. So, if you're a, any biologist listening, I'm sorry. Yes. Yes, what? Molecular structure of nucleic acid. Yeah, baby. Watson and Crick. Francis Harriet. Francis Harry Compton Crick. Compton What's his name? Crick. Hold on a second. Is Watson still alive? He's still fucking alive, dude. How old is he? 93. The queen is older than him. James Dewey Watson, American molecular biologist, geneticist, and zoologist. And cryptozoologist. No, I'm just kidding. So that's the end of my episode about the singularity in which I take my tiny brain and I try to comprehend advanced scientific ideas Larger than in a life. way in which I can compress them and present them to our listeners who probably stopped listening about 20 minutes ago. My tiny woman brain. They probably stopped listening about 40 minutes ago, if I'm being honest. They're like, we're talking about what? <laughs> Billy's dumbass is going to try to talk about physics and shit? No, 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 no. I really enjoyed it. Am I going to have nightmares tonight? Maybe. Yeah. I had a weird dream that me and my supervisor at work worked at a gas station. Not related at yeah. all. And then some person I hated as a child showed up and started closet, like tried to steal cigarettes. <laughs> okay. I'm most surprised that zombies didn't show up at the end, but not really related. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Just casually having dreams about uh, my work supervisor and my childhood bully. Just three dudes in a gas station. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no. Cool. You got anything else for me? I have a really dry mouth. You can have that if you want. <laughs> no, I just hope that that was informative and interesting. I liked it. Uh, I'm afraid it may have been a little out of my league, but whew, I love this idea. So. Yeah. Well. That's about all I have, though. Do you have anything you'd like to add here on the on the ass end of this episode? Well, before the machines self self actualize and end our podcast forever. Kind of just want to like point out that Derek Chauvin, however the fuck you say his name, Chauvin, Chauvin, was found guilty in the death of George Floyd. That's great news. What was it? Manslaughter, second degree, second murder, degree and of unintentional else. murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. Yeah. I'm here for it. Anyway. Anyway. We can talk about my love of Will Smith. Talk about your love of Will Smith? Wait, on all of our uh, Instagram posts, I put, I love you, Will Smith. Do you really? Oh, yeah. It's in on the hashtags. On all of our, our odd pod. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it kind of fits this time because he was in iRobot. Yeah. It, yeah. It all leads back to Will Smith. It all leads back to Will One Smith. One day, Will Smith will notice me. Will Smith noticed me. I never told you about the time I was in college and I got drunk and sent tweets to um, Donald Faison and uh, who's that? The Tur Turk and JD from Scrubs. Oh my god! <laughs> and I just sent drunk tweets at them all night. <laughs> all right. Well, let's get out of here before we air out any more dirty laundry. All right, guys. Uh, thanks for listening. As always, if you like our intro and outro music, you can find them at DarrenCurtisMusic.com. He's a nice dude. He makes good music for all of us to use and enjoy. So go ahead, help him out. Give him some money on Patreon if you have it. <laughs> um, 
what else our patreon oh yeah our patreon which is a link that you can find on the other links that i mentioned at the beginning but it's www.patreon.com slash our odd patreon where you can enjoy our sound tests that we have before mini sodes uh, you name it well you don't name it there are specific <laughs> things we have a discord channel which no one has joined but you know doesn't really it's matter because i'm not on it i thought i invited you no well, i'll send you an invite <laughs> all right so uh, that's all I got. If you don't have anything. Oh, thanks so much for listening. As always, we are the Boneses and, and we, we are, are out. out.